Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, as we get into the, uh, the series or the sermon today, I'm going to have Josh come up and read the scripture here in just a moment. Um, on, on the seats, you have a discussion card there with questions for the next four weeks of our series. And uh, as we're going through this summer series, looking at various topics throughout First and Second Corinthians, we've been just living in these two books all year, and we're going to continue all summer, um, bouncing around at various themes and topics and passages, uh, but there's some great discussion questions there on the card, or if you're watching at home in the YouTube description. And uh, if you miss a message this summer because you're out and about living life and out of town, uh, feel free, follow us on, on YouTube, and, and you can just stay connected and engaged with what God is doing in your church. So I'm going to welcome Josh up, and we're going to read today's passage that comes out of 1 Corinthians. And uh, Josh, here we are. Okay, this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud that they all passed through the, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up and indulged in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by this destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has overcome you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Josh. And today we are, I'm sure you figured it out, talking about temptation. And as we talk about temptation, this portion of, of Paul's letter to the to the Christians in Corinth, he sees that they're struggling with temptation. These are people that follow Jesus, have said yes to him, and yet they lack this awareness. They have a giant blind spot individually, but also collectively, they've got blind spots in which they can't see. And, and, and you know when I realize I've got blind spots in life is when I drive a trailer. How many of you drive trailers and realize, I got blind spots, right? You're driving, you're backing up your truck, and you've got this trailer, and you can't see behind you. All of a sudden, I have no depth perception. And when you have a moment like this or you have blind spots like that, you need another person. And you have somebody uh, stand out and they, they can make eye contact with you through the mirror. They can give you that death stare, right? And they've got cool hand gestures, right? And, and then they yell and, and, and hopefully scream and, and get your attention of some sort. Like you're going to hit a tree or a rock or a curb or something, right? And... and what Paul is doing right here with the Corinthian church is he's getting out of the vehicle. They're backing things up and saying, I got it, I got it. And he's like, whoa, whoa, you got blind spots, man. You're going to hit some things. And we need people in our lives 
that can see our blind spots because that's why they're called blind spots. They're blind to us. We don't see it. We can't always see that we're addicted to our phones. We need somebody to call us out. We can't always see that we complain and complain like a constant dripping. We need people to call us out. We can't always see that our addictions to pornography are destroying our marriages. We can't always see how our prayers are more like vending machine prayers. God, please give me, give me, give me. And we need people to see our blind spots and say, hey, do you see what I see? Do you see the pothole you're about to hit or the rock you're about to run into or the tree you're about to knock over? Paul is calling out their blind spots and guiding them in this passage. And he, in this passage, and you saw it early on in the first five verses, he is paralleling the Corinthian church with the Israelites out of the Old Testament. And they're wanderings through the desert. You can read that in the Old Testament through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You can read that portion that he's talking about. They wander through the desert. But in these first five verses, he's summarizing it. And this idea that you have these group, this group of people, the Israelites, wandering through the desert, seeing the miraculous, right? Manna from heaven, walk, uh, water from rocks shows up. Uh, God's provision to, to keep their sandals from wearing out. God continuing to lead away, parting the, ocean, or parting the Red Sea, and they're walking through it. God is doing amazing things, and yet they still miss it. They still turn to the temptations of life. And so Paul is paralleling the Corinthian church because similarly, the Corinthians go through spiritual deserts. And they experience spiritual nourishment, spiritual hydration, and spiritual leading, and yet they still turn and complain. And I know nobody in the 2022 church would ever do that, right? We would never complain to God or turn on God or create other gods. No? People that have enough, people that have been given enough, people that have given plenty, and God has done the miraculous, and God has provided, and you have everything that you need, and God is leading you in these directions, and yet we would never complain, never test God, never argue against God. But Paul is calling out the Corinthian church. You can, you can pick up on the sarcasm when I say that we would never do that. We all struggle. And as we look at this passage together, we're going to see we as humanity, we as people, we struggle with sin. And there's times in our life where we want to pursue sin. We're good at sin. How many of you have been good at sin in your life? How many of you desire sin? My hand is up. I want to sin. Pastor John Mark Comer says it like this, our deepest desire is to be godly. If I'm a follower of Jesus, my deepest desire is to be godly, but my strongest desire is not always to be godly. There is this competition within us. I desire to be godly and follow the things of Jesus, but that's not always my strongest desire. My strongest desire can sometimes be to fill in the blank. And so this morning, I want you to think for yourself. I don't want you to think for your spouse. I don't want you to think for your kids. I don't want you to think for your neighbor, your coworker, or your pastor. I want you to think for yourself. What area of life are you feeling tempted in in this season of life? What area do you feel tempted in? 
Temptation is this desire to do something that would separate us from God. Think of the things that we get tempted to do. They are separating us from God. Temptation is the thing that it draws us towards something that says, Jesus is great, but he's not enough. There's something else that I want. Think of what you're tempted towards, and it's going to be down this path that we're going to explore these various things that we're tempted in, but it's it's towards something that says, Jesus is great, but he's not enough. I need this. That's what we're drawn to. That's what we're tempted to engage in. And when we participate, when we engage, when we succumb, when we are drawn into that, those temptations are drawing us towards things and towards behaviors, towards habits, towards actions that are going to sever relationships, separate relationship, fracture relationship between us and God. And God desires wholeness with us. And this is why it fits so beautifully into what we're talking about, about things being complicated. Temptation is complicated. Because we think, well, I got Jesus, I should have this thing figured out. I'm gonna, huh? I got Jesus, I shouldn't be tempted anymore. I should be done. And I question anybody that says, I got it all figured out. I don't struggle. Because that's what Paul's calling them out on and saying, don't be like the Israelites in Hope City. Don't be like the Corinthians that said, I don't got blind spots. I don't get tempted. I don't have struggles. But what we're going to see is how Jesus can help us navigate the temptations of life. One of the ways he does that, we see it in verse 6 and verse 11, is he gives us examples to learn from. The Israelites are an example to the Corinthians. He says this in 6 and then verse 11. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings to us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. God has given you examples to follow. That word example in the, in the original language is translated as patterns. So we look at the Israelites, we look at the Corinthians. These things are examples. These are patterns. This is the way the world operates. This is how it has been. This is how it will be. Humans will be tempted. Humans will want to sin. This is how it is. These are the examples that we see, and we can learn from the past, or we can repeat the past. I don't want to fall into the same pits. I don't need to touch fire to know that it's hot. Can we learn from the examples of the past? We saw a fun, uh, a fun illustration of this last weekend at Berry Dairy Days. People would watch something as an example so that they could do it better. And here's a fun example that's not heavy and deep and going to make you feel, um, feel like, oh, I struggle with sin. This is a, we learn from the examples of others. We have this game that we had at Berry Dairy Days called Bottle Up. And the idea is to get the bottle with this ring, pull the string, and it props the bottle up. And I love this because we're playing these games and we set it out for the kid zone. And what obviously and every time it happens, the kids start playing the game. Show the picture of the kiddos playing the game, right? Just, oh, it makes it so sweet, so cute, right? The kids are playing the game and then what's happening? Mom and dad or grandma and grandpa are standing there watching and saying, I could do that. No, this is how you do it. No, just pull, just give me the stick, Right? And you're watching them struggle, and you're learning from them. 
and you want to learn, okay, this is how you want to do it. What Paul is saying is you've watched the Israelites wander in the desert and struggle with sin and be tempted to sin. Learn from them ex their examples so that when God puts the stick in your hand, you know what to do. Corinthians, wake up. Learn from their example. Learn from their patterns. Learn from their style. Learn from their failings. Learn from their mistakes. In verse 6, he said that these, these were examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So we look at their patterns and we see how they set their heart. This is what temptation really is. I love the way he describes it. Setting our heart on something. Our cravings, our desires, our lustings get targeted towards something. That's what temptation really is, isn't it? We set our heart, our passions, our desires on something else. And the examples of others can help us learn how to navigate this. What is my heart set on? Where are my motivations? Where is my passion? Where is my emotions? Where is my heart set on in life? He's saying, look at the Israelites. Look at the Corinthians. Look at yourself. Where's your heart? And in verse 7 through 10, he begins to expand on where they set their hearts. He answers the question for us so we don't have to try to draw our own conclusions when we're wondering, well, what did they set their hearts on? What temptations did they struggle with? What are these patterns of temptation that people struggled with, right? What Paul is going to do is lay this out in 7 through 10. And so we see various examples, and he gets into the kind of nitty-gritty of various temptations that we face, these patterns, these examples that we face. Verse 7, he says that, do not be like idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. So idolatry. The people are wandering the desert. God has freed them from slavery in Egypt, and yet they create idols. They create a golden calf to worship a golden statue. Similarly, how many times do we create gods? See, we are tempted towards idolatry. We are tempted towards creating gods. And maybe it's not a golden statue. You, maybe you don't have a golden statue sitting in your living room, but you have 65 inches that plugs in and is in LCD HD 4K and has 37 streaming services, all with their own individually programmed programming, and you have to have them to watch that one show your friend told you about. And it becomes an idol. Why does it become an idol? Because I can't unwind without watching it. I can't find peace at the end of my day without watching it. Think about the idols that we create. These are the things that we put our trust in, our peace in, our wholeness in, our strength in. We are tempted towards idolatry. People of Israel created a golden statue to put their trust in and worship. Maybe it's not a statue. Maybe it's not a TV. Maybe it's a substance. Maybe it's alcohol. Man, that's what I need to get through my day. Maybe it's other drugs. Maybe it's weed. Maybe it's food. We never think about food being an idol. But I know on my own journey, I've, I've treated food as a god. I've looked to food for comfort, for peace. Maybe it's our finances, our possessions, but we create these idols. And what Paul is saying is you are going to be drawn towards creating other gods, tempted to engage and worship 
and run to and put your trust in. The other one that he says in verse 8, sexual immorality. He says we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them, some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. Yikes. What Paul is alluding to is in, in, in those Old Testament passages we were talking about as they were wandering the desert, at one point Israel engaged in these drunken sex parties in the desert, orgies, right? Similarly, we pursue pleasure. It may not be that vivid and descript. You may not be going out to the desert to do that. But we feel this desire and this impulse to push boundaries, to not be told what to do. Don't tell me what to do with my sexuality. Tell me what to do with my behavior. And we will engage in whatever feels good or feels right, makes me um, feel better about myself. We don't want God to tell us what to do and how we, to live, how we are to live our sexual uh, lives. And we don't want to be held to this idea of what we believe about an exclusive heterosexual within the confines of marriage covenant of our sexuality. And so we push those boundaries with adultery and infidelity. We push that with sexual openness or pornography or fantasy or flirtations that just went a little too far. That's a temptation of the body, a temptation of the flesh. Verse 9, another temptation that we face is this testing of the Lord. Verse 9, he says, we should not test the Lord as some of them did, and they were killed by snakes. Very, very vivid stuff here. They were testing the Lord. Israel doubted God, but they also demanded things from God. This is more than just I wrestled with how did God do this and is God blah, 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 blah. We, we all struggle with doubts, but they demanded proof. And similarly, I think we, de- we doubt God at times. It's when it becomes an ultimatum. God, if you really loved me, you would... That's where we begin testing God. God, if you're real, then you will fill in the blank. God, I'll follow you if. And what we're trying to do is we try to bend God rather than bend to God. We're trying to tell him what to do rather than allowing him to tell us what to do. We're trying to shape God rather than be shaped by God. And it's this arrogance and it's this... um, superiority, and it's this, I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to be told what to do, attitude of the heart, this pride. Paul says we're going to be drawn towards wanting to test God in this manner. And lastly, in verse 10, the last area that we see temptation, grumbling. Verse 10, and do not grumble as some of them did, and they were killed by the destroying angel. That grumbling is the murmuring and the whining and the speaking under your breath. Israel complained. They were complainers. They complained about Moses. They complained about Moses' brother Aaron. They complained about God. They complained about the desert. They complained about the heat. They became discontent with whatever God was doing in their life. And I never struggle with complaining. Do you? I never sit back and say, God, I deserve blank. I deserve better. I deserve to be treated like, I deserve to be, I deserve this, 
I'm entitled to. And that complaining becomes so contagious within ourselves and our homes and our churches. And it's easy to get sucked into this idea of bad-mouthing people. How many of you, right? Something charges up. Whoa, we're getting real here. We're going to start. And there's, some, there's like this endorphin rush that happens within us. And we're just like, yes, here we go. We're going to bad-mouth the pastor. We're going to bad-mouth the church. We're going to bad-mouth mom, dad. This guy, complaining and grumbling and all of that, it not only happened with the Israelites, it happened with the Corinthians. And what Paul is doing is he's highlighting these four areas of temptation. And what is he doing? He's saying these are examples. These are patterns. This is the way the world operates. We will struggle in these areas of creating idols or living in immorality or wanting to test God or wanting to grumble against God. And some of us are looking at our bingo card saying, bingo, I got all four. But the reality here that we see and what Paul is trying to teach us here is that we all will struggle with temptation. Verse 12 through 13. So if you think you are standing firm, which means that there were Corinthians that said, nah, I'm good. I don't struggle with that. I got Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm better than that. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. So what Paul is saying about these blind spots is what? Everyone has blind spots. Which means all of us sitting in the room struggle with temptation. Including me. Including you. Including the people that you work with and the people that live in your home and the people that you like and the people that you don't like. We all struggle with temptation. Everyone is tempted. And when he says that no, one, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, that, that's where we see everyone struggles with these things. You may not struggle with all of them all of the time, but there's a draw, there's a pull, there's a desire towards one or two or maybe all of them. And what Paul begins to do is he's talking about this idea of facing temptation. One thing when he says everyone is struggling with this, we need to be reminded that temptation is not a sin. And as we're talking about this, and I'm sure as we read through 7 through 10, some of us just felt a heaviness. Great, Pastor, thank you so much. I feel awesome now. Let's go conquer the world because I'm an idolater, an immorality person. I'm tester, and I'm a grumbler. Thanks for making me feel awesome. But temptation is not the sin because everyone is tempted. Moses was tempted. The Corinthians were tested. Paul was tested. Who else? was tested. It's a Sunday school answer. I'm going to lob it up there. Say it real loud and proud. Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus was tempted. And we believe Jesus was blameless. So if Jesus was tempted, is temptation sin? No. So that desire, that urge, that, that compelling feeling that you've got to do wrong is not wrong. But it's luring you into doing something wrong. So we take a deep breath and realize everyone struggles with this, and we come at it with the gospel, and, and one of the key characteristics in the gospel is humility. Jesus came and died on a cross for everyone. Jesus came and, and, and endured with humility, not with pride, and, and what Paul is saying is if you're struggling with this, and, and if, even if you don't think you are, come at it with humility. Come at it not with pride, but with humility. Pride says, I don't struggle. Pride says, I got this figured out. Pride says, I am not as bad as these people. 
But humility, which is a key characteristic in the gospel and a key characteristic of who Jesus is, says, I'm susceptible. And I can only do right with the help of Christ. How do we bring humility into the way we face our temptation? We're talking about bringing Jesus into those tempting moments. we got to bring humility into it and saying, I can't just combat this on my own with my bootstraps tight. I, I need to admit to Jesus, I, I want to do wrong right now. I can't get through this right now, Jesus, without your help. To look to Jesus humbly with a desire for help, guidance and direction. And then in verse 13, this is where we're going to land. And the plane is beginning to descend here. He says, God is faithful. He has not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you will stand up under it. God is faithful. God is faithful to help us in our temptations, meaning that Jesus is enough to face whatever you're going through. Whatever desire that you've got, Jesus is enough. And that temptation to do something that says Jesus isn't enough, right? I got Jesus, I'm good. Oh, wait, I want this. I need this affirmation. I need this validation. I need this, 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 this possession. I need this experience. I need this pleasure. I need this peace of mind, because Jesus isn't enough. I need that. Paul's saying Jesus is enough. God is faithful. Temptation's going to say Jesus isn't enough. And Paul's reminding us Jesus is enough. He is enough to fill the void that you feel, feel. And he's enough to, as he says later in verse 13, enough to sustain you and to equip you to get through that temptation. Jesus is enough to battle whatever you're battling. Jesus was tempted. He died on the cross to defeat the power of sin, which means that the power of sin is not stronger than the power of God. The power of God is stronger and the power of God is within you. So whatever you're facing, Paul says, I'm gonna give you a way out. Paul's, Paul's encouraging the Corinthian church. Jesus is enough to get out of whatever you're facing. And I think getting out means two different things, or two different facets here. One, getting out could be escape. We need to get out. We need to flee temptation. So Jesus is saying, or Paul is saying that Jesus can do this. Jesus is enough to escape the temptation that you're facing. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're feeling tempted to do, there is a way for you to flee it, run away from it, avoid it, get out of it. Verse 14, which we didn't read, Paul just cleanly concisely says, flee from sin, run away from it, get away from it, go. When Jesus is talking about temptation, he says, man, if, if, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, get rid of it. There are things that we can do to escape sin, to get away from it, to purge, to flee, to get away from those temptations. And, and Jesus gives us those bits of information, those bits of direction, those inspirations to say, I'm going to make a change here to get out of this situation. There are times where we need to run away from sin. 
You're going to feel tempted to do something. We've got to run away from it. I've got friends who their way of escaping temptation is that they have switched from smartphones to flip phones because the temptation for them is way too great. So now they use a Nokia flip phone. They've removed apps from their phones. I know people that have struggled with complaining and grumbling and whining and comparison, and so they've deleted their social media accounts. I'm just done with that. I'm not going to complain anymore through that avenue. See, that's just, that, what they're doing is, is, is looking to Christ for ways to escape out of these things. These are real practical ways that we could do this, right? A person who has made alcohol into an idol, and they go to somebody's house, and they're drinking and partying and doing their thing, and it's just like, whoa, I, hmm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of here. I'll see you guys later. Jesus is enough for us to escape the tempting situations that we might face. Gouge it out, cut it off, flee, run away. And that is not a weakness, as our culture might say, right? We, we talk about escaping or running away. Some of us are like, but we're just running away. We're fleeing. Yes, you're being strategic to get out of there. You're learning from the examples of others, the Israelites, the Corinthians, whoever else, and you're running away from those situations. There's a way to escape those situations. But also, I think that when Paul says he will, he will give you a way to stand up under it, right? He will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I think what he's saying there, too, is that not only escape, but to endure. Jesus is enough to endure the temptations that we might face. Because some of the, temptation, the temptations that we will face, I don't think we can always just run away from them. Let's say, for example, someone struggled with sexual sin, and, and they just, man, their mind, they started thinking those thoughts and fantasizing and all that, right? You can't run away from every time you encounter the opposite sex. you got to go to work. you got to go to Safeway. You can't just like, peace, I'm out, I'm fleeing, right? I see an attractive person. I'm out of here, run! You can't, you got to learn how to be around. And we used to tell this to junior hires because they used to freak out like boys, when they talk to girls, and it's like, you got to learn how to talk to the opposite sex. Don't just run away from them because you're attracted to them, right? Because if our, our dealing of temptation is always to just escape and run away, we don't always learn how to endure. We've got to learn that there are times where we can't just run away from situations. If you struggle with complaining, you can't just leave every business meeting you're in. Hey, guys, I'm out. You guys are just whining. See ya. Uh, sir, we've got more work to do. Sit back down. Oh, but you guys are grumbling, and I, I'm out. Peace, deuces, see ya, right? You can't do that. You can't just flee and run away. You've got to learn, okay, how do I engage this situation? How do I engage this group of conversation and endure this without engaging in that desire to complain and whine and be that dripping? Sometimes we have to learn how to stand up strong under the face of our temptation. Then where we see this is with Jesus. Jesus went to the desert and faced temptation. And he didn't run away from it. It actually says that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. And in the face of temptation for provision and power and protection, man, oh man, that could be a whole sermon in itself. But Jesus learns to endure temptation. The first moment of temptation, he doesn't run out of the desert and be like, I got to get back to the city. See you, God. He endures the temptation. And, and 
when he's facing that temptation in the desert, he uses the word of God as a tool to combat that. The other moment that we find him facing temptation is when he's in the garden and he's praying and he he prays this prayer, God, if this is if it's your will to to drink from this cup of suffering, man, I'd love to get out of this if I could, but okay, I'm still in. And, and he has to endure this temptation to want to run away. How many of you would want to run away from suffering and execution? But he endures the temptation. And the two things that I see in that, he leans on scripture and prayer. And when we're facing temptation, we cannot minimize the importance of God's word to endure the temptations. You've got idols that are pulling for your attention. You've got habits that are pulling for your desires. You've got conversations you want to engage in. And how do we combat the lies of temptation? We do it with the truth of God's word. When Jesus is facing temptation, he doesn't just say like, yeah, that's not good. Stop it. He quotes scripture. He quotes the word of God. He quotes truth. And we begin to prove that God and his word is enough. Remember I said Jesus is enough to, to, to endure. We prove that God's word is enough when we combat the lies of temptation with the truth of God's word. No, that's not who I am. No, that is not the way to peace. No, that is not going to give me wholeness and fulfillment that I, because God's word tells me this. This is who I am. This is what I need. This is what I'm all about. We lean into scripture. We lean into prayer. Prayer is a way. Man, if you're, if you're finding yourself battling temptations and, and facing those desires to stop and to begin to pray, Jesus faces temptation in the garden, and he stays in contact with his heavenly Father. God, this is, this is tempting. This is tempting, but let's talk about it. How many feel better? Let me ask this. How many of us feel better when we talk about something? I'm a verbal processor. I feel great when I talk about things to death. And instead of always processing that with my wife or some of you or a random person, what if I process that with my heavenly father? God, I'm really struggling with this. God, I'm really desiring this. Man, God, I keep falling into this pit hole, pit, pitfall, pothole, whatever, pit hole. But it's in those prayers, you know what I begin to recognize? I recognize my flaws. When I'm on my knees crying out to God and praying about those things, or I'm driving in my car, and I'm praying to God, man, God, I really want to do this. I really want to run to that. I recognize my brokenness. I recognize my need for Jesus. And I begin to put my eyes back where they need to be, which is on Jesus, rather than on the sin that I'm so desiring. Prayer and scripture fixates my view and my vision back onto Jesus. And I begin to see that Jesus is enough to face whatever I'm going to face, enough to escape, enough to endure. We're going to have to do that at times, escape. We're going to have to endure. I don't know what the situation is that you're facing right now, but when I put Jesus at the center of my temptation, 
it changes things. And when we're facing temptation this week, I, I just want us to remember, Jesus is enough. Let that just be the thing that you hang on to, whatever you're facing, the desires that you want to run to, the things that you want to turn into gods, the conversations you want to engage in, the behaviors that you want to go back to, the things you know you shouldn't do when you're facing that desire and that urge. Just remember, Jesus is enough. I don't need that for affirmation, validation, security, peace, whatever joy I might be running to. Jesus is enough. I can escape this through Christ. I can endure this through Christ. I can be brought into right relationship. And, and here's the kicker. I found myself getting into conversations where I kept complaining this week. And I felt really convicted about it because here I am talking about grumbling and whining. And I kept whining this week. And God hit me like a ton of bricks. Guess what? Jesus is enough not to just avoid the conversation or endure the conversation, but Jesus is enough when I fail in my temptations. When I go back and I sin. And you feel terrible. Because I have moments this week where I thought, Jesus, I should be better than this. How many of you have felt that before? I should be better than this. I should, shouldn't be struggling with this. And it was like the lesson I needed to learn. I remember talking with Jesus this week. I'm like, God, here I am talking about some of these things, and I'm struggling too. And he's like, yeah, no duh. I told you everyone struggles. Everyone's tempted. But Jesus is enough even when I give in to my temptation to bring me back into right relationship with the Father. Jesus is enough. When temptation says he's not, Jesus is enough. And I want to close, and I, I, I want to just conclude our time with a moment for you to pause and ponder and, and to just pray where you're at. Because I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're enduring. I'm sure this conversation has stirred some things up within you, and you're thinking about it for yourself. Um, and I hope you hear a heart of grace, a desire for unity and, and to lift people up towards Jesus rather than condemn you and say you're a loser and you're terrible and you're struggling. No. We all struggle. We all have issues. We all have temptations. But we're going to pray and we're going to pause and take some time. And I, I, I want to play this song, and I'm sure we're going to get hit with a copyright violation on our YouTube video channel, but whatever. So if you're watching at home and it goes silent, my bad. But we're just going to take a moment. The lyrics will be played up on the screen, and this song's going to play. And, and, and I want you to just have a moment with Jesus. And the song lyric that keeps coming up in this song is, is Jesus is enough. And they use this name of God, this Hebrew name of God called Jireh. And it's this, this Hebrew word that, that means provider, that God is enough. He's provided. Maybe it's provided the physical things, but, but in this scenario where we're talking about where, man, God just took me to my knees last night listening to this song and realizing, Jesus, you're enough. For whatever I'm facing, you're enough. And so I want you to, to listen to the song, close your eyes, read the lyrics, pray, think about where you're struggling. If you need to have a conversation with Jesus, maybe give something up and repent, I want you to be honest with him. You don't have to be loud and boisterous. You can just right where you're at, have a conversation with Jesus, and you can get on your knees, you can sit, whatever you feel. 
but I want us to reflect on this idea of Jesus being enough. Let me pray for us, and then the video will play. Jesus, we talk about it, we sing about it. You are our everything. And I pray right now in the face of whatever, whatever is coming, whatever we're facing, whatever we're enduring, whatever we need to escape from, God, I pray that in this moment you would speak to us and show us how you are enough. You are our everything. And there is nothing else that we need. We need you, Jesus. Forgive us if we've been wrong. Restore us if we've been broken. Give us the strength if the road ahead is going to be bumpy and difficult. If you want more information on Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.